Hey everyone, Jenna Valente here popping in at the top of the episode just to have you all note that this episode contains descriptions of violence um, and sexual assault that may be disturbing to some. So please take care of yourself and proceed with care um, and caution based off of your own needs. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Sea Change podcast. I am your host, Jenna Valente, and this is your go-to show to meet the most interesting and inspiring people living, working, and recreating along the American shorelines and everywhere in between. I'd like to not only welcome you to the show, but also welcome you to the month of June. I feel like June has a really special energy to it, doesn't it? It it always feels so transformational to me. Like everything is buzzing and bright and gives me the sense that anything can happen. And it feels really powerful. So when I was grounding myself into this month and thinking about the weeks and the work ahead, my intuition was pointing me to invite someone on as this month's guest who embodies that powerful, bright, buzzing, transformational energy. And one person in particular came to mind. Today, I have the honor of introducing Jane Jacobs. Jane is a true warrior spirit and in my experience of knowing her is filled with this beautiful, passionate fire and love. She is a force to be reckoned with and as a member of Tuscarora Nation is dedicated to protecting our precious natural resources and advocating for justice. She is a formidable water protector, leader and environmental and human rights activist. She also is a spiritual healer who is working to uplift humanity for the collective survival of our next seven generations. Jane, welcome to the show and thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me, Jenna. Um, I appreciate the opportunity. And I know that you and I are still fairly new in our relationship and for some listeners, this may be the first time like quote unquote interacting with you or meeting with you. So just to lay that common foundation, I'm wondering if you'll share a little bit more about your journey and the path that you took to end up where you are now here today talking to me on this podcast. I'm sure I can do that. Um, how did I get here? <laughs> that That's, a, that's an <laughs> inter- interesting question. Um, it's kind of like, um, Everything just like over since 2017, um, there's just been this accumulation of things um, that were happening and that I realized that I needed to stand up and, and speak about and help in the in the battle any way that I could. Um, so the, I think the first public speaking thing I ever did was on a MMIW issue, uh, like a couple months after my sister had got murdered. And when I did that, it was like an empowering step forward. I I faced all my anxiety. I faced all my fears. I realized that if I join hands with other people that are doing the work, um, I could learn how to do the work as well and be part of part of what's going on. Yeah. And I think, you know, a central part of this podcast is highlighting both the human connection to nature and also to each other and sort of the power that is held with within that space. 
Um, and oftentimes I feel like the constructed world that a lot of us live in um, has people walking around with blinders on. And I mean blinders on to like many different things, but one of them is like our deep connection to nature and how we really are just this like one animal within the entire ecosystem and not separate. And I'm just wondering if you can describe like, what is your connection to the outdoors and the natural world? I, that it's part of who we are, right? So it's part of who I am. We all come from the earth even though we come, you know, through our, our vessel of our, our mother's body, we're a part of the organism, one of the organisms that, you know, co- coexists with, with the earth. Um, I feel so, so connected that it, it's weird. My, my fascination with that, my fascination with the water, um, when, when I touch these things, I, I feel the energy coming from her. Um, I, I feel the connectiveness. I feel the healing. Um, you know, my family picks on me. They call me a tree hugger. And that's 100% correct. Um, I I take claim to that and, and I love it. Um, uh, instances, we were looking uh, to rent the house that we're actually living in now when we pulled up the first day to come and look at it. And my mother immediately wanted to go to the inside and look at what was inside the house. I noticed a huge pine tree on the end of the house and that's where my fascination was. Uh, So I had to go to that pine tree. I call him the grandfather. He's huge. He's humongous. Said, I have to go hug this tree. And when I got to where the tree was at and I looked up, (laughs) it already had arms out. It was waiting for a hug too. And it was holding a baby oak tree and it was holding part of an azalea bush. And it just, you know, reminded me how we are all in this together. We're all connected together. We're all just trying to survive. Um, I'm trying to survive just like that pine tree's trying to survive all the negative things that um, are, are being put into the world um, and being put into the earth. It's trying to survive and I want to help it survive. Yeah, I think that's really beautiful. And I'm glad that you brought that up because I I'll do the same thing. I mean, especially with trees and bodies of water I'll be, you know, walking my dog and all of a sudden I'm like, that tree over there is calling me over and I'll go over to it and like put my hands on it and just sit and like spend a minute exchanging energy. And I feel like there's a lot of healing that happens. And I'm also like, I wonder if there's like some sort of communication that's going on with like, if I touch this one tree and then another tree is calling me over. Like, am I also this like vessel of like transporting some sort of message um, uh, between these these beings who aren't as mobile as we are? Um, so yeah, I think that that's really really powerful. I think that's something I would encourage listeners to do if you don't already. Is like go hug a tree, go put your hand on a leaf, go. Put your hand in a body of water. If there's something, it's like if it's something that you're not already doing, just take a moment to tune in to the energy that's flowing around you all the time and notice what it brings up within you. Because I feel like there are these unseen 
forces at play that we are a part of, but we've become so like numb. A lot of us have become very numb and like tuned out to them. And it's a really powerful experience to sort of like be in this commune with the the world around you. It, it really is. And people that, you know, they don't do it. They're really, they're really missing. Um, they're missing out on a lot. They're missing out on part of the part of creation that was made to enhance them, to heal them, to make them whole. Like we have so many dividers now, you know, that, that keep us away from, from nature, even, you know, the shoes on our feet. Uh, how, how do you ground if you have shoes on your feet? How are you connecting? How are you feeling the energy uh, that she has that can help restore you? You know, that's something I do quite often is I, I run around barefoot. I don't care what nobody's got to say about it. I want to feel the earth. I want to <laughs> feel that that energy and that connection. And said, if I ever got in a relationship, I just hope that, you know, he wasn't a feet person because he's really not going to like that part. <laughs> but, you know, it is what it is. I'd rather be you know, connected to the earth and, and feel her energy and her healing and her talking to me um, over, over having, you know, some pretty feet. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I've connected you big time on that. I feel like your girl over here has got hobbit feet when it comes to the summertime. Like my feet are dirty. They get calloused. I'm never wearing shoes. And I mean, even to the point in, in wintertime, I mean, I live in Maine um, and Winter time, I remember my mom would just, she'd get so annoyed with me because like I'd go out to get the mail and I wouldn't put shoes on. I'd be like, oh, it's, I'm just going to be outside for like two minutes. And so I'd like run through the snow with my bare feet and she'd be like, what is wrong with you? <laughs> and it would feel so good, right? It, it, it would feel It's good. this nice sensation of like, and I think even before I had the words for it, it's like this energy exchange that's happening. Yeah, it, it definitely is. And um, I'll, I'm still, you know, I'm 56 years old, but I'll jump in a mud hole quick. I don't care. <laughs> you know, like you see little kids dancing and playing in the rain. I, I do that. And I don't care if anybody, you know, their judgment or this, that or the other, just uh, standing out in my backyard when there's, you know, no lightning and it's just a downpour uh, of rain. It is so healing and invigorating and it, it when I do it right, it kind of puts me back to how I was originally created to be and the freedom to be um, and feeling that that energy and just the, the love that the water has for us is is like one of my favorite things. Yeah, I feel like that that tells me your inner child is alive and well and your soul is alive and well. And I like I I, I feel like that's I mean, I'm I'm not one to talk about the secret to a long life because I'm still like, you know, fairly young. But I, in my mind, I feel like the the secret to like a long and fulfilling life is to feed that inner child and to lean into those moments of joy. And so many of those moments happen in nature. And it's like these spontaneous moments where maybe you don't expect it to rain or that giant mud puddle to be there, but like, why not go roll around in it? You can always wash off later. And enjoy and have fun. We have so many like um, restraints on us, right? Um, living in this colonized society. 
that, you know, people look at you that like you're, you're strange or whatever for doing those things. Um, when I'm looking at people like they're strange for, you know, sitting in a house, you know, with all these electronics and this, that, and the other going when there's, there's so many amazing things that happen in nature. Um, so many beautiful things to see. Like we were at the fishing pier fishing one summer and like it had to be at least 3000 stingrays came and went around the pier and like my mouth was just like completely open, you know, cause I had never seen that many stingrays at one time, but they were, you know, following their migration pattern, doing what they do naturally. And it was a beautiful thing to be able to see all of that nature, like right in front of my eyes that some people only see on TV or in, in books or, you know, through their phones. Yeah. It's like we have been gifted this experience in our physical bodies in this like moving art piece that is the world that's just in constant motion and it's never the same and it's just always ongoing and so many of us miss it because we're just glued to our phone and posting thirst traps of ourselves on Instagram. Yeah, yeah. You know, we're so busy taking selfies of ourselves that, you know, we're missing that beautiful cardinal sitting there on the bush singing to you. You you mm-hmm. miss those things. And when you were saying about June, right, and how you feel, you know, when June comes, um, and I feel the same. I, I think that the only piece that I feel that, you know, it, it might not be different than how you feel because you might not have just said it, but when everything is blooming, right? Everything's turning that beautiful color green again. All the animals that, you know, were hid for the winter are coming back out and and doing what they were created to do. It always reminds me that we still have a chance. We still have a fighting chance to fix what's been messed up so the next seven generations can enjoy Right. Like knowing that now that my son can't jump in the Cape Fear River. Well, he was able to do it a couple of times before we knew about, you know, our PFAS poisoning here um, in Wilmington and the surrounding areas. But I remember being pregnant with him and I was floating in in the Lumbee River, um, just holding on to a stick on the side with my big belly out and knowing that I can't have my grandkids, my future grandkids be able to do that is the most heartbreaking thing in the world. They're supposed to be able to, you know, climb up and get on a tire swing and swing and jump out into the water and paddle back and get mine to do it all over again. But now we can't do that because of these corporations and all the crap that they're, you know, putting, putting into us. It's ridiculous. Yeah. It's, it's disgusting. And it's, it's just, uh, it's I'm like at a loss for words because I have so many things that are like rolling through my mind right now. But like I get really overwhelmed when the people that basically came in, took over and put in these systems of power that are centered around greed and individual uh, individualistic mindset are able to amass this wealth and power and get away with harming all of us and themselves in the meantime. And a lot of those people, I've had conversations with people like that 
and they their worldview and minds, just like how they're poisoning the environment, their own like minds and bodies are being poisoned and are poisoned to the point where like I've had people just straight up tell me that they don't care. Like they're not going to be around long enough in their mind to see the impacts or feel the impacts of what they're doing. And so for them, it's like, let's make all this money that I can make and live at the expense of others um, for this like fleeting joy. And I, so I heard you mentioning PFAS and a little bit about the area that you live in and something that I'm curious to hear from you about, this is something that I've been asking um, a lot of the guests that come on my show recently, because it's, I think it's really fascinating to hear everybody's um, view on this is when you think about a healthy ocean or planet or body of water, so like a healthy environment, what does that look like to you? And what does that mean to you? That, wow, that would be <clears throat> to have to have things the way that they were originally created um, would be so, like, I always say I, I was born in the wrong time, right? Like, I should have been born in the, in the 1700s, back when things were what I call normal, right, before everything else came. And I know that we're at a point that we can, you know, never go back to that right? That that's something, you know, that I deal with and, and accept. But I always just sit and wonder is like, can can we stop now? Can Do we have enough? Are, are we satisfied now? Do, do we have to keep going? Do we have to keep cutting down trees? Isn't there enough space for everybody with what we've already destroyed? Um, and living that kind of life, like I, I keep saying, like, I'm am I wrong for just waiting for this government to let everything explode and do what it wants to do so I can go back to living in the woods again? And then I would be a happy person. Um, but how, how do we get to that point? Um, will we get to that point or will we just continue um, on this destructive path? I had said, you know, when we were in, in class, when we were in Savannah, you know, we're parasitic. The, our human nature's flawed, our human nature's broken and nobody is taking the time to heal themselves so they can take care of everything else. Yeah. And I, you know, I think I remember when you brought that up and like, we were kind of talking about how when the human body gets a virus, you know, in a parasite, it, it heats up and you get a fever and it, it finds a way to shake off whatever that is. And it feels like that's what's happening on a global scale here is like the earth is starting to be like, okay, um, I'm not, I'm not uh, comfortable with, with what's happening. And we're going to learn the hard way apparently, because we're not going to take the appropriate actions that we need to, to turn this ship around. And I think that's another place this, I'm like, this feels like a little bit of a therapy session with this, this podcast, but it's like, <laughs> The frustration of um, there is a lot of human ingenuity out there, and there has been for centuries. And I, when you were when you were talking about how, like, when is it enough? I 
I often feel this frustration of like, why aren't we taking that ingenuity and putting it toward making things more efficient, more sustainable, and more just instead of continuing to push because some billionaire wants to live on Mars? And it's like no shade to space exploration because that's fine. But it's like at the expense of the planet, like we'd rather not take the steps that we need to take now. And when I say we, I want to be clear that it's not like you and me. It is like uh, the ultra rich, wealthy, mostly white folks that put this system of power that we live under in place. Like how do we, and I think that that's like a big motivator for the work that I do is like, how do we overhaul that system and live in more harmony? with nature and use the knowledge that we have and wisdom that we have to make things more efficient and sustainable where they need to be instead of like this senseless pushing toward what the unknown. Most definitely. And you know, it's sad because it's that the human condition, it's broken. It's not caring about the things that we should care about. Um, I, I always sit back and I think like, if you think back to when times were simple, right? That was that was a beautiful time to live in, right? Even like even after um, the boats came here and everything else, and when people were just you know settling and they were farming their land and they had their animals and they were self sustainable, right? But then you get the ones that were, you know, I always describe it as the ones that were a little bit richer. I always think of the show Yellowstone um, uh, remind puts me in this mind frame, right? That you had the the one person was there and he got there first and he had um, a nice spot of land. Right. And but on his land, he had the best thing of all. He had a water source on his land, right? So then the rich rancher comes from somewhere and he buys the plot next to him. But what he notices is that he has no water. He has no water rights, but he knows this poor guy over here does. So what does he do? They went and they appointed like mayors and police and and this, that, and the other to go take that man's stuff to give it to the rich man because he felt like he was more deserving of it for why? Because you're rich. Do, do you deserve that just because, you know, you, you had money um, that you could, and, and it still happens, right? Like you see, like even here in Wilmington, North Carolina, when Hurricane Florence came in, there was a low income um, apartment complex that got damaged from uh, Hurricane Florence. Well, these people are still living in hotels and with family and everything else, they went in and they completely destroyed the low-income apartments and they're going to build luxury apartments there that the original people who live there can't afford to live in or that they don't want them living in. Yeah, or this couple in Idaho that just uh, basically because they wanted to build their house on wetlands destroyed the Clean Water Act (laughs) because their case made it up to the Supreme Court. And it's like all because this one couple didn't want to follow the rules and respect the land. Now this incredibly important rule that we had in place has been completely gutted just to serve someone's privilege. And it's, uh, it's horrifying. And uh, I think it's just another example of how 
all of that is alive and well today. And I think sort of segues into um, the next thing that I'm curious about is like, clearly the two of us are very passionate about a lot of things. Like if listeners haven't picked up on that already, but I'm curious to hear you talk a little bit more about like what drives you to be active in your activism. So I asked this question because I think there are probably people listening out there that are nodding along and have similar feelings about these things that we're talking about, but maybe haven't taken that next step to speak up or attend a protest or a city council meeting. Um, And I, I think that I have the extreme privilege of interviewing the like the most incredible people, including yourself on this show that are out there doing really important work and are so like purpose and passion driven. And I like to hear um, like you talk about what is that? What lives inside you? What is that motivator? What is that spark that drives you to be an activist? It's definitely what, what pushes me forward is um, my son and everybody else's children. Um, you know, tribally, we, we have a thing that we are responsible for the seven generations that are in front of us. Right. Um, and that's a huge responsibility, you know, these kids that are being born and the ones that are coming, they didn't ask to be born into a world that is polluted, a world that, you know, you can't drink the water in your own house. Um, you can't, you know, breathe in some of these places because of the chemical pollutants that are out there. Um, Seeing kids play on the outside is like the most soul enriching thing. There was a couple that lived across the street from me and they had little kids. And just to hear those little kids outside laughing and playing and having a good time, that's the reason why I fight. And I fight because the earth has given us so much, so much of herself she's given to us. And she's still giving us chances to fix what other people have messed up. She, she's begging for our help. She doesn't need our help because she could just go through right now and do a couple things and, and we're all gone. And then the next ones come along, hopefully they would do better right by her, but she gives us chances. And that's like so empowering that she's like, you can help to change this lady that's sitting there folding laundry and you got two twins on the floor. You can help change this. You can, one small voice is not very significant. My voice is not very significant at all. But when we have our voices pulled together as a collective community, and we're all saying the same thing, we're all fighting for the same thing. And we all know the reasons why we're fighting. Then that's where our strength comes from. Like without the connectiveness of like, okay, so if you think of like the trees, right? The trees speak to each other. They have their own language. They're all interconnected underneath the ground with their root system and they send messages to each other. We're no different than that. When we hug somebody, our energy connects, right? So if we can all pull that energy together and be in a united front, we have a chance to be able 
to beat these people, even though they have trillions of dollars, right? Even though they have police and security at their at their beck and call to be able, you know, go get those protesters because they're rioters and they're destroying things when that's really not the case. Um, we're not destroying things. We're trying to fix things. And for them to be even to be able to label us as as being wrong for doing those things is absolutely crazy to me. But, you know, um, if there is anybody out there that, you know, wants to have a voice, just reach out because, you know, we're, we're stronger together and we help each other to make it through these battles that we've got. Absolutely. And I think that, um, you know, both Jane and myself are plugged into uh, very deep communities of activists, advocates, um, and we're always bringing new people in. So if you're listening and maybe you feel like isolated or you don't know where to begin, um, we'll share our contact information toward the end of the show. And please don't hesitate to reach out to us because there is definitely room for you. Most definitely. And when we were together recently in Savannah, Georgia, I think one of the things that we connected over was spirituality. And I think, um, you know, we've both talked about it a little bit already during this conversation, but I'd like to hear you talk a little bit more about um, how does your spirituality influence and guide your activism? You know, we're all made up and comprised of energy, right? And what energy we put out for people to see is our choice, right? Like there's a there's an old proverb that it talks about the white wolf and the black wolf and that the white wolf is the, this good being and that the black wolf is the one, you know, that will cause harm, right? So your, your spirituality comes by which one, because we all have that in us, right? We have that we can either be good or we can be bad. We can be helpful or we can make problems, right? So we pick which one that we are going to do. And if you feed the bad wolf, all the negative negativity and hate and anger and this, that, and the other, then that's the one that's going to take hold of you, right? And make problems for you while you're making problems for everybody else. But if you feed and you nourish the part of you, the energy part of you that is good, that is wholesome, that that comes from the earth, that is capable of, of changing and, and continuing, because, you know, we pass our energy on, it never leaves, right? Every, every single person that I've come in contact with, I hope that I've left a piece of my energy with them that is enriching to their spirit and uplifting to their spirit and that I wouldn't be taking anything from them and that I could just be adding to them. And so my spirituality is like so different because, you know, you hear people, as soon as you hear spirituality, people think uh, religion, um, they think church and things like that. Um, my church, so say, is in the middle of the woods or in my backyard um, where I'm still connecting with the one that's providing um, you know, the earth, she provides our air, she provides our water, she provides a place for our food. So that's where my spirituality is tied in to that, um, because that's, you know, where where I come from. 
and trying to, you know, with all of us tribes, we really lost so, so much. I mean, we weren't even allowed to practice our own religion until 1978. I was born in 1966. So we have a lot of catch up that we're playing now um, with doing our ceremonies and uh, you know, learning to speak our languages, all these things are part of my spirituality and it's all tied in with the earth. Yeah. And you, so you, um, you sort of started down that path a little bit of sharing a little history of Tuscarora Nation. And I'm wondering if you could talk a little bit more about that and about the bands of the tribes that are working together and, um, how all of that I think plays into your, like it, I feel like what I, I'm like, what I'm trying to say is your spirituality. I, I'm wondering if that is like a direct connection to growing up in this nation. And is that like something that is central to Tuscarora nation in the way that they steward the land? Um, Tuscarora Nation, um, you know, I'm honored that that's where my bloodline comes from. Um, back before the boats came, we were one of the biggest tribes on the East Coast here in North Carolina um, and the Eastern Woodlands. Um, there, there were a lot of us. Um, we unfortunately, uh, you know, we were here on the East Coast, so we were the first ones to feel the effects of the colonization um, of our people. Um, our people, you know, were taken away from us. They were killed. Um, they were murdered. Um, so, so many terrible things happened um, when the boats came. Um, Tuscarora Nations also tied in with the story of the lost colony um, from Roanoke. Um, and that we absorbed that colony in because we weren't going to let them die. Um, so, you know, we have that in our history. And then in, it was um, in 1713, um, Tuscarora Nation was like, you know, a lot of the tribes were picking sides of who they were going to fight with, right? Um, and we weren't picking sides. We said, we're fighting all y'all at this point because you guys came over here and you lied about everything you said. You didn't, you know, do the things that you wanted to do. And we're, we're not jiggy with this anymore. So the Tuscarora War was fought in 1713, 1714. Um, and they actually had to get um, some other tribes involved uh, to be able to take us out. And after that war was fought at Fort Naruka, it was the last spot of the battle, which is in Snow Hill, North Carolina, a couple hours from where I'm at. Um, some of our people went up north and they got in with the Six Nations Confederacy. Um, some of our people stayed and we hid. Uh, my ancestors didn't leave and go to New York. My ancestors went into the swamps, um, you know, where Eastern Woodlands Indians were swamp Indians. We knew how to survive out there where the colonizers didn't know how to survive in the swamps. Um, when there were runaway slaves, our tribe would take in the slaves and we would make them our family. Um, and so we have a lot of uh, DNA mixing as well, um, which is just an honor to, you know, have that kind of stuff instead of, oh, I'm just this, you know, I'm all kinds of things and it's pretty cool. Um, but yes, yeah, so Tuscarora Nation, we're trying now We're we're, you know, um, we're, we're having a huge fight because of the fact that we wouldn't give up back then. So Tuscarora Nation has kind of been blacklisted 
as being a tribe, um, we have an issue that the um, Lumbee tribe of North Carolina um, had an act passed in the 1954, I believe it was, called the Lumbee Act. And what that did was put all of the tribes on the eastern seaboard in our area underneath the Lumbee Act. Um, so we're having, you know, to fight and say, you know, hey, you guys know that's wrong. You know, Tuscarora's are here and we've always been here and we're not going anywhere. So that's a thing that, you know, we're having to fight with the government about getting our reaffirmation back um, for them to say, oh, they're still here. Um, you know, they never went anywhere. They've always been here. We're not all dead. Um, seen some stupid stuff on TikTok a while back and people were like, have you ever seen a Native American before? And I'm like, come on, you can't believe this has joke, right? Like they were all sharing this thing. And then so the natives are popping back on, you know, doing a TikTok back to their TikTok talking about, hey, can you see me? You know, I'm right <laughs> here. Um, I see you. Do you see me? But yeah. So how how can you be so narrow minded um, and controlled in the brain that you think that all of the original inhabitants of Turtle Island are gone? There, there's there's no way. And so, you know, we have our ceremonies, we have our powwows, um, we have our regalia. We're so grateful that, you know, there were elders, even though under the threat of being killed for speaking our language or knowing our ceremonies, they saved it for us. And so now we're able to learn our language. We're able to learn our ceremonies. We're able to dance freely. And, you know, we dance for the earth as well. That energy in the powwow circle is huge. She feels us. She knows that we're still here and she knows that we're trying our best to be able to, to help fix the damage that's been done. But Tuscarora Nation, you know, um, I just went to the powwow two weeks ago for our uh, in Maxton, North Carolina. They had the powwow up there and uh, the Tuscaroras that were here, we ended up forming the Southern Confederacy. Um, with us being such a big nation, we took people into our protection. So we took in the Meharan Nation and we also took in the Nottaway uh, tribe up in Virginia and they formed the Southern Confederacy with us. And it's really crazy that, you know, you'll hear mention of the Meharans, you'll hear mention of the Nottaways, but they're trying to, you know, make it where the Tuscarora, that's just a word that isn't said. Um, so I make sure I say it loud and proud every chance I get. Um, I definitely know who I am. I definitely know where I come from. Um, and I definitely feel the connection of where I live, especially here in Wilmington, because when I moved to Wilmington, um, it, I came home um, and there's actually... <clears throat> you know, history showing that this was part of our territory as well. I appreciate you sharing that history with us, Jane. And now we're also like blasting it on the airwaves. Tuscarora Nation is alive and well, everybody. <laughs> yes, yes, we are here. <laughs> and how are you noticing climate change impacting your community? Whew, um, that's that's a definite that it is. Um, when I think of the damage that was done in 2018 from, or was it 2019 from Hurricane Florence? I can't remember which year it was. They all tie together a little bit, but um, we... We're, we're, we're taking really hard hits because she's, she's, she's angry. 
Um, you know, I was up at with my um, some of the seat keeper people up by where our reservation is in Birdie County, North Carolina. And we always go wandering to the woods. Um, that's where we go and we connect. We just go walking and talking and exploring and seeing what's there. And the thing that we noticed um, that was a huge indicator of climate change and the things that are coming is that the cypress trees, which need salinated water, are growing in the inlands now. So that water table is moving. They they can't survive without salinated water. So for those to be growing in our seed keepers' backyard, um, that's that's a real concerning concerning point. Yeah. Will you talk a little bit more about seed keeping? Mm-hmm. Most definitely. Um, that seed keeping is crucial for our survival. Um, and having like original non-GMO seeds are huge. I remember, you know, back in the day, like with my grandma, she could take a tomato that my grandfather had grown. My grandfather was a sharecropper. Um, so he grew tobacco in Newport, North Carolina. Um, and then we had the huge family garden that was there as well. Um, and you could take those seeds and you, and you could plant those seeds and another, you could grow tomato plants from that. Well, now you can't do that with the food that you're buying in the stores. Um, Those seeds don't grow. They've genetically modified those seeds where you can't continue to carry on that practice of growing the food. Um, So by saving the seeds, by saving the original heirloom seeds and continuing to grow those is what we're doing. That's what um, the whole seed keeper movement is about, is growing those and getting these seeds back into the areas and to the tribes where we can start to rebuild the original things that we had. You know, there were so many different kinds of corn back in the day, but when colonization come, you go to the grocery store, you only get white corn or yellow corn because it was easier for them to grow the white corn or the yellow corn. There was the Mohawk red corn. There's the glass gem corn, which is multiple colors, all these different beautiful food sources that they they took away from us and then just give us those two options if you go to the store. So by having the seed keeper and continuing the seeds that were originally here, that's kind of our way of helping the, the continuation of the planet, the continuation of life uh, for the next seven generations. And will you also talk about um, what does it mean to be a woodland protector and water protector? Most definitely. Uh, the woodlands and the water are so connected. And that's why um, my 501c3 is Eastern Woodlands Protectors. That's protecting everything that's on the eastern seaboard um, as well as inland. Uh, I, I feel a huge responsibility to to fight for these things, to protect the water, to protect the trees. Um, living here in Wilmington, North Carolina, I, I had like such a, a, a physical an emotional impact one day. There were some uh, pine trees that were on the way to take my son to work. And it was a huge forest of pine trees that were there. And I came by one day and they were gone. They had cut down every single one of them to build new apartment complex here in Wilmington. 
And the reaction I had to that, I was physically sick. Um, I was very emotional. They, you know, we don't have a right to kill people, right? You get in trouble if you kill people, but you don't get in trouble if you kill nature. That that's so confusing to me that you can just be allowed to kill 900 trees, which clean the air that we breathe that is already polluted, you know, so they're doing a huge service for us. And then they come and they cut them down and they protect five. Like, what are those five protected trees going to do? You, you didn't do anything. The storms are going to come and take them away. You're taking everything away that protects us. So I have to fight to protect the things that they're trying to destroy. You know, we're fighting with the MVP pipeline right now um, up by Alamance County and in Virginia. And they just did another dirty deed and a dirty deal on yesterday of trying to fast track this pipeline. That pipeline is right where the there's a huge aquifer for North Carolina is is in the path of this pipeline. The Appalachian Mountains are in the path of this pipeline. These I feel the obligation that I have to fight because see we've we've changed things now with all this technology and these machines and all these things that we have. We're able to destroy the earth so quickly without people standing in the path of those bulldozers and standing in the path of those pipelines, you can't just sit back and let them do these things. It's it's not right. It's not fair. I feel so inside of me that I have got to scream for her. And part of the reason of screaming for her is that she's given us chance after chance after chance to fix this. And I don't want to see the after effects of what's going to happen if she's the one that has to fix this. Because she could come in at any time, wipe us all off. of She could let Yellowstone go. She could let Yellowstone erupt. And then where where we the, none of us are going to survive that, right? Um, and then there'll be another organism. There'll be another parasite that grows. And hopefully the next parasite would be better than our parasitic tails that are ruining everything. Um and, you know, because life for her is going to continue, but at the, we don't have that guarantee. And so I have to yell and fight because it, it really is. It's about the seven generations of kids. They they are who this world belongs to. You know, we, we've had our time. Um, now it's their turn. And so I feel like, you know, until I cannot take another breath, I'm going to fight for the continuation of life. After I leave here, I'm going to hope that my energy did enough good here that it's still powerful from the sky world that, you know, people can be able to say, you know, call on me for strength um, from the spirit world and that I'm able to help them. Um, You know, that's something I do a lot. I don't just, you know, look up and call for help. I'm calling specific people that I know and that my energy is connected with that have passed on and live in the sky world to come and help us. To, to send us that energy for this fight. And a lot of times they show up and, and that's, that's a good thing that, you know, lends to the strength that lends, gives us extra boost of energy to be able, you know, to continue this fight. You know, this weekend was supposed to be everybody, you know, relaxing, enjoying life, doing all these good things this weekend. And here we are at, you know, 11 o'clock at night on Zoom calls and organizing because of the MVP pipeline. Um, 
trying to get with the lady that I work with, uh, North Carolina Stop Gen X. Uh, we're having a protest coming up in June, um, on June 10th, and we, we need people there. Um, they didn't have a right to poison our water. And if we don't stand up to show them that we're going to fight back, you know, they're going to continue to do it. I, I get so frustrated. They always have this, um, oops, sorry, we spilled some more chemicals in the water. Who do we pay? You know, they, they get a slat, they just pay their fee, right? And then, whoops, I did it again. Um, so inside of me is just, you know, I'm, I'm beaver clan. I'm a, I'm a water, I'm a water being. Um, so it just screams from me, from my insides, from my DNA, from my ancestors, you've got to stand up. You've got to fight. No matter how scary it is, no matter that, you know, you know, people are, you know, watching you um, because, and they, that's the scary thing, right? Is knowing that these, these billionaires, they have these people like, look at what happened in Standing Rock. You know, they, they hurt our people so bad in Standing Rock for standing up for clean water on their sovereign land that they don't even have a right to do anything on. Um, the Wet'suwet'en Nation up north that, you know, they're fighting. The Canada's trying to put a pipeline through their sovereign territory. Um, they wouldn't be able to go to Germany and run a pipeline through there because Germany's its own own sovereign place, right? So why can you run it through tribal sovereign places? Why is it always the BIPOC communities, um, you know, that you run it through? I, I was a real jerk one time. We went to uh, D.C. for the uh, Martin Luther King, the Million Man March thing. I got to hear his uh, granddaughter speak. She was a fireball. But we took those little scooters and uh, they took me through Georgetown because I had never been to no fancy place like Georgetown. And I just got a hair up my butt. And I was riding that little scooter along with my friends, going past everybody having their nice little dinner outside on the little decks. And I was saying, we're going to run a pipeline through here next. We're going to run it through Martha's Vineyard. We're coming for you guys, right? Um, because why is it fair that the most disadvantaged people are the ones that you put this stuff through? The ones with the most health problems because they can't afford the good nutritious food. You know, you stuck our tribal people in on the lands where there was nothing. They can't even grow food. They can't even hunt. I mean, when they came, they killed millions of buffaloes just to starve us out. The bison, they killed them just to starve us. That That's a sick, twisted kind of thinking. And I've got, I don't have a choice but to fight it. Yeah. And I mean, what you did in Georgetown, like, even though, you know, you, you we're kind of giggling about it, that needs to happen more. The piece of people that are doing the not in my backyard, you know, and a lot of these people are like, I'm into sustainability. I care about the ecosystem and whatever. But the second that something is proposed, like windmills off of their coastline, um, you know, the, the cable from wind power coming in through their communities, it's like, oh, hell no. Like you see the, the real, what, like who these people really are when it comes to their own communities. And because they are in their position of within the system of privilege and power, they're able to continue to roll it over. And 
into BIPOC communities, into low-income communities, and then be able to keep their peace of mind because they're not seeing it, that the world that they live in is all bright and rosy and shiny. And it's just, we need more of that. We need more people like you rolling through Georgetown talking about pipelines. And that's like a huge reason why I appreciate you. And I'm here to support you along this whole journey. Um, And I wanted to make sure to offer some space for you to share a little bit more about this protest coming up because this episode will come out before that. And um, I'm hoping that people that are listening that are in the area are able to travel will join you. Um, So if you're open to sharing more about it, I'd love for listeners to learn more about this protest and and how they can get involved? Uh, Most definitely. So the one where we actually have two, so the one uh, won't, I won't mention the MVP because it'll come out after, but we're having a protest in Fayetteville at the Kim Moore's plant um, on June 10th. um, And there's going to be hopefully a lot of people there. And we're hoping that a lot more people will come uh, because we really, we really need the support. We need, we, we really need like multiple ethnicities, multiple social class people. Um, we need everybody to come together to fight this because, you know, they're just going to keep dumping this stuff. And if Kim Moore's only sees my voice, right, if they only see me and people that look like me out there, unfortunately, they don't care. They don't care. Um, we need the people that they care about to be the ones out here screaming with us. We need them to care about us. See, and that's where, like, like you were saying, that that they don't see it where they're at, right? And they don't want it where they're at. Well, the downfall on that is they also don't come to these poor communities either. You know, if you can run, if you can run a pipeline for oil through the Navajo Nation. How come Navajo Nation has no clean drinking water? Can't you run those same pipes to to provide water for them? Instead of you have, you know, a 70-year-old woman with a water tank truck making trip after trip after trip to bring water to these people. And isn't water a right for everybody? 100%. I mean, it's, if, and I've heard you say this, if they can put in all of this time and effort and money into drilling and putting in an oil pipeline into communities that don't even have access into clean water, then you know damn well that they can afford to put in that infrastructure to make sure that those communities can have access to clean water. And that's where it becomes really apparent what the interests are. And it comes back to money and it comes back to power. Um, and you're exactly right. We need everybody in this fight. It's not something that needs to continually be shouldered by BIPOC communities, by indigenous communities. Um, you know, I think my, like a lot of my fellow white women are taught to be nice, to, and to be quiet and to be amenable and to just go along with the system and never like speak out. And this is my call to think about like, how far has that really gotten you? Like, okay, maybe a lot of you live in nice homes or um, have benefited from this system in some way, shape or form, but it's like, are you actually living that your true, like authentic, genuine 
happy life? Like, I feel like the answer is no. If you think about it deep down, like you need to be using your voice and you need to be standing up for what you believe in and not continually just being this product of, of the system. Like stop being so nice and start like stirring the pot. Yeah. Well, you know, I I feel like a lot of that issue comes from uh, colonialism and religion are huge in patriarchy. And um, our societies were matriarchal societies. Our women were the ones, our clan mothers, our grandmothers were the ones that called the shots and and did the things, right? Um, And you even see that now. You see a lot more women in the forefront fighting these issues, that, you know, are, are realizing that they are strong. They have a voice. Their voice is no different than a man's voice, and they have a right to be able to use that voice. But, you know, that that patriarchy and the, the religion, it all ties into where it's taking your voice away. You know, like you said, you, you're supposed to sit there and be quiet. You're supposed to look pretty and be quiet and follow the commands of the men. Um, that's something that... I, I don't even think if I was a colonizer, I would be able to do that because I, I'm just not good at sitting down and, and being quiet uh, when there's so many issues. And especially because of how the differences in how we're treated, right? Like Standing Rock was a shit show. They seriously hurt people in Standing Rock. There's been people that have died from cancer since 2016 from chemicals that were sprayed on them. You know, they had dogs biting pregnant women. They took water cannons and put them down in the river in the wintertime, blasting them with huge, powerful water hoses. But the sad thing is, I'm going to take it back to Georgetown. If all those people I was giving hell in Georgetown that day were standing there protesting something, they would let them do it. They wouldn't hurt them. You know, look at when- Because um, a lot of them are going along with just the status quo. And even if they think that something is wrong, you know, either you don't say something about it or like you were just saying, you have the privilege to be able to go out into the street. Um, You have the privilege to go storm the Capitol of the United States of America and have very little repercussions. Like think about that and think about the power that you have. I'm like specifically talking to privileged white people right now in your own community to make people think differently. And that's sort of where I'm at. I mean, Maine is 94% white. I grew up here and I feel like the moment that I started speaking out and calling out things that I feel like are wrong, um, both. And that started pretty young. Like, I feel like it's, uh, that's just how my spirit is. It's like, I'm kind of feisty, but I, I also think that, um, that's the most free I've ever felt in my entire life is when I started actually speaking my mind and standing up for myself. And then I even start to see the community around me changing, you know, people that are in my own circles that maybe feel the same way that I do, or maybe have never in their life thought about something in a different way, thinking about something differently. And so I think it's just getting back to what we were talking about like a few minutes ago is like, this is something that we all, it is all of our responsibilities to be involved in 
And I think especially like privileged white communities are bearing, like they need to bear more of that weight because we haven't been carrying our loads. We've been doing so much damage and it's just all on the backs of BIPOC communities, low income communities um, that like, it's like, when is it enough? I don't know. But I think we need to be taking a much more active role in this system change, if anything is going to change at all. Right. And even with not changing, right, if, if it could just stop at this point, is there seriously anything right now that we're doing without? Is there anything that has made our lives where it's not easy peasy? You know, you can pick up a cell phone and talk to somebody, you know, in, in another country with no problem. So when is it enough? When will we be satisfied? Right. Like, seriously, why do we need cars that drive themselves? Why? Yeah. Why? You know, are we, we're sitting there anyway. Are we too good that, you know, to have our hands on the steering wheel and, you know, a foot on the gas pedal and a foot on the brake and, and, and making sure that we're conscious of the humanity around us and the environment around us that we don't hurt, that we have to have, you know, some, a car drive for us. Come on. That's just freaking ridiculous. Is yeah, or do we need to send Jeff Bezos to space for 10 minutes or Elon Musk to Mars? Or could we take that and uh, make sure every single person on planet Earth has access to clean water? Everybody gets a nice nutritional meal. Exactly. And that's part of what with Eastern Woodland Protectors, um, part of why I formed that was to get water filters for the low income people that could not afford them and the elders that couldn't afford them. And I've also partnered with um, one of my friends that is from the PD Nation in Gaston, South Carolina, um, picking up produce trucks, loads of produce and dry goods um, to be able to pass out to the elders in the communities because they're they're the ones that are hurting, right? The elders, when you think, I remember when my uh, grandmother, when I first moved back to North Carolina, I stayed with my grandmother and I seen she got her social security check. This was in the late nineties. My grandmother's social security check was $250 a month. Who can live on $250 a month. So our elders are hurting because the pay scale was so low back when they started and they had their careers and they had their jobs at the factories that their social security was, you know, not anything. Um, I think it's raised now to like, like $900 a month for this would be for somebody that didn't have um, like a lot of job history or anything like that. But still you think $900 a month, how do you, how do you live on that? How do you survive? And it, the by forming the the Eastern Woodlands Protectors, and by me luckily having a big mouth, and I'm not afraid to say, "Hey, I need some money so I can get these people some water filters. I need some money so I can make sure these elders have socks that don't have holes in them. I need some money to make sure that these homeless veterans that are all over the street in Wilmington, North Carolina, have a hot meal tonight. So I don't have the money to do that by myself, but I'm willing to go get all of these things if you can send me some money to go do it. You know, that and that's where we run into a problem is not having 
the finances to be able to do all that we can. And that that's so depressing, right? Because like the amount of water filters I was able to get when I finished um, our WIA program, when they're gone and I see somebody else that needs one, that's heartbreaking. How do I get one to them? Don't they deserve it as well? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, we, we deal with that with the Healthy Ocean Coalition as well as like we, we've built this incredible community of advocates that are all supporting each other. Um, and as of now, we're in our last year of funding. And if we don't find more funding, then that's it. It's like almost, t- what, 10, 12 years of all of this grassroots community building um, for there's been great things that have happened, but we have these big dreams of where we want to take it and uh, fundraising and money is huge. I mean, it can make or break the real change that we're trying to see in, in the world. So if your fundraisers out there, give Jane your money. <laughs> And just, just let's get some filters. And, you know, and it's sad that the, the, the thing that's so sad, right, is I know at this point in my life, right, if I played a lottery ticket and I won, there would be so many people that I could help. And that would be the first thing that I would do, right? Like I would pay it. Like I would make some trips to the grocery store. I'd make some trips to the McDonald's, which luckily in my community, um, and I'm a, I'm a outspoken person. I speak to anybody. My, you know, my mama says, you don't never meet no stranger. You don't never shut up. You talk to anybody. I'm like, yeah, and I'm going to continue to do that. So I know the people in my community that if I had the money, I could help. Right. I know the single mom that's working during the day while her kids are at school, getting her kids home from the bus, getting their dinner fed. And then she's got to go out and work another four hours just so she can pay her twelve hundred dollar rent on a one bedroom apartment. Right. I would be the first one to knock on her door. Here's a house. Here's a car. Here's a year. Do what you need to do to make yourself better. But the the part that hurts is that there's people with millions of dollars sitting in banks that they're not going to use, right? I think about that all the time is think about how many extremely wealthy people there are in the world that they could change. They could change everything. And instead, it seems like all of them are doing the bare minimum for their philanthropic arm where it's just for like the tax breaks because they have to spend this certain amount of money where it's like, how much wealth do you really need? And think about how soul enriching and fulfilling it would be to genuinely change the world by changing people's lives, by lightening their loads, by helping shift this system to be more just and more sustainable. But then I'm like, okay, well, I feel like the people who are amassing this wealth are a very specific type of person. So it also kind of makes sense why that's not happening. But the frustration remains. (laughs) And then, you know, you have the ones that, that will help and give money, right? But here's where we run into a problem with that is... Give the money to the small grassroots on the ground people. Um, when you're donating your money to Red Cross and, and to this and that and the other, you know, yeah, at one point in time, they might have been great organizations that were doing what they needed to do for the people. But now so much of that money that you donate, 
they're paying out in salaries and this, that, and the other, and it's not getting to like marketing. Yeah. And it's not getting to where the people who actually need it. Um, when hurricane Matthew came, um, in 2016, um, Pembroke, North Carolina, Robinson County, North Carolina, they got hit really, really bad. And so we did what we did as communities and we came up with clothes, blankets, food. I mean, they were eating great, amazing food that, you know, people were cooking and providing for all these people that were having to live in the high school, um, why they were, you know, their houses were underwater, all these things. Red Cross came in and they threw all that stuff away. Every bit of it and gave them some stale bologna sandwiches to eat why? Yeah. I mean, it's like the nonprofit industrial complex, (laughs) like massive nonprofits are things that you should also be questioning. Like where is the money going? Is it actually getting to the communities? And yeah, I think that's an incredible point for us to put some emphasis on is that if you're listening and you're someone that donates or is interested in donating to nonprofit groups, Look for the small frontline grassroots groups in your own community or in the community that you're looking to sort of spark some change in because those are the groups that really need it. They're the groups that are having the hardest time finding the fundraising because oftentimes those large nonprofits are um, employing teams of grant writers that are able to frame their issues around you know, what the fundraiser wants to hear um, and gobbling up that chunk of money that needs to be given to these smaller groups. Um, So think small, think local when you're, when you're donating. Definite. Cause you know, like next week I have to go to, um, we're going to DC. Well, the sixth through the eighth about the MVP pipeline, we're paying for that our own selves to get to DC, you know, um, scrambling together. Hey, can we share rooms? Can we share rides? Can we, can we do this, that, and the other, um, the Red Cross or none of them big organizations are going to be there with us yelling, don't put a pipeline through BIPOC communities. Don't ruin the beautiful Appalachian mountains, um, because you want to run a pipeline through of, and and then it's, it makes me so mad because, you know, a lot of this stuff is happening is like, look at the farmland that China's buying up in the United States. You know, Canada's harvesting our trees. Why aren't you harvesting your own trees? You know, you come down here to North Carolina and it's like the pine forests are just demolished. But they won't demolish their own with the Gen X issue. Like our EPA standards are so slack in this country because our government does not care not one bit about anything other than getting the money that we provide to them for what they do. That's the only thing they care about because they let the, in the Netherlands, their stuff is so strict there that they were shipping the PFAS, the Gen X from the Netherlands, switching it back to the Kim in North Carolina to get disposed of in North Carolina. That is freaking disgusting. And, you know, you see all this fight going on and you hear the left and the right. And this is the fight that you hear. All these people want to fight politics. Can we stop fighting politics and fight for humanity? Because that's what's missing is that we're not fighting for the people that it matters for. We're not fighting for the people that are out here busting their butts. We're not fighting for the school teachers that are basically babysitting your kids 
five days a week so you can go to work, so you can pay taxes. And then when we send our kids to these schools, right, um, I say they're no different. They realize that residential schools where they really traumatized our people in the residential schools. They they took us away from our families. They they beat us. They raped us. They cut our hair. They took our language. You know, their thing was kill the Indian, save the man. That was the their thing that because they didn't consider us as being human. Right. Where why can't you fight? for these people, because these people are the ones that are out here fighting because these pipelines leak. These river systems are all connected. It doesn't matter at this point, right? Like they built this big water filtration thing um, with the Cape Fear Public Utility Authority, which is in my area here in Wilmington to fight the Gen X issue. So Kimors didn't have to pay for this. DuPont didn't have to pay for it. 3M that made the chemical didn't have to pay for it. The sick thing is, is that they, when, when DuPont bought the chemical from 3M, 3M specifically said, don't let it hit a water source. They were in West Virginia at that time. What did they think it was a great idea to do? Have a lady standing there with the hose, putting that water into the rivers there. Then when they got caught there, what they ended up doing is they came down to North Carolina. They made the Kimors company, which is a branch off of the DuPont company. And they changed one thing. The PFAS used to be called C8. They changed one component, added one thing to that, called it Gen X, and started releasing it in the waters here. Camp Lejeune, all of our military people have been poisoned by Gen X. There's class action lawsuits out because of that right now. So the men that the men and women that are sacrificing their lives, taking time away from their family for our freedom and to fight for our freedom and keep us protected, we've let these corporations poison them. So I actually, while I was listening to you, I think um, this episode's actually going to come out before the DC protest happens. So I want to make sure we use this as an opportunity to promote that as well. Um, will you share a little bit about what you all are doing in DC and, and how people can get involved? Most definitely. Um, we're going to be in DC lobbying from the 6th to the 8th um, about this MVP pipeline, the Mountain Valley pipeline. We had thought that, you know, we had things pretty much under control. And I think I said earlier, they did a little sneaky, dirty deal this weekend when they weren't even supposed to be in office passing any bills. And they passed the debt ceiling last night and it added every single debt ceiling that they've had. The MVP pipeline has added itself to that. So these corporations are adding themselves to our government stuff. And that's so incredibly wrong. We need people to stand with us. We need funding to get people to these events. And we need as many people as we can have there saying that we are done with these corporations poisoning our water supplies. We're done with our children being poisoned. We're done with our planet being poisoned. And we need people to stand up with us. It, it can't be just the responsibility of certain people. It has to be a human responsibility for us to fight for humanity. So on the 8th, we're definitely going to be there with a direct action on the 8th. Um, things are probably going to get pretty heated. We're going to need bail money. Um, we're going to need help to get out of jail because we're pretty positive we're going that day. Um, 
So if you can help, um, you can reach out to Eastern Woodlands Protectors. Um, there's a cash app there. You can reach out to uh, Seven Directions of Service. Uh, you can reach out to the Appalachian Voices. Um, there's so many of us that are coming together. And, you know, um, it's a rainbow coalition of people now. And we just need more people to join in the fight because the government's big, the government's powerful. But the one thing that the government isn't bigger or powerful of more of is the people. The people hold the power. If if we would all come together and say we're not spending a dime in this place for the next three weeks, we'd see a change. They'd realize we were still here because right now they don't realize that we're here because we're not hurting them anyhow anyway. But if we held back our money. If nobody got gas for two weeks, you know, and didn't go to work for two weeks, yeah, you're going to have a struggle, definitely, but your struggle is not going to be any worse than the poor BIPOC communities, their daily struggle, right? Their daily struggle, like my truck needs fixed right now. That's a huge issue that I need to come up with the money for to fix, but at the same time, I got to have the lights and food and rent and all these things. So by doing that, you're, you're going to struggle a little bit, but they would understand that we're all, every citizen of the United States, Canada, South America, if we all stood together as one powerful collective voice and said, we're done, then they're going to know that we're done. Then they're going to have a little bit of fear. Then they're going to try to change things. Because as it is now, on the 8th, nobody's going to care if a bunch of natives get locked up in D.C. fighting a pipeline. They didn't care that they poisoned them in Standing Rock, so are they going to care any differently when we're in D.C.? We need people to stay with us that don't look like us because they'll bust me in the mouth real quick. But unfortunately and sadly, I, I mean, it's good for a little Susie with the blonde hair and blue eyes standing next to me that they're not going to do that to her, but they shouldn't be able to do it to me either. Because at the end of the day, if you hit Susie, she's going to bleed red. If you hit me, I'm going to bleed red. There's there's only reason that we have differences in skin is because of the environment and the and the place that we live in, right? That That's the reason. But the, the huge problem is a class issue. We have a class issue. Rich people think they're above all of us. And and that's that's sad. And it's like that, like rich black people don't like poor black people. They call them, you know, hoods, you know, um, rich Mexicans don't like poor Mexicans. And it, it it's sad that money can keep us divided like that when we should be as connected as the trees. We should be able to feel each other's energy. We should be able to pass messages to each other, um, messages that come from a place of love and a place of caring and a place of compassion instead of a place that I'm better than you. Um, you're, you're trash because you're not rich. You're trash because you drive a 2003 truck versus a 2023 $90,000 Ford. You know, who, why would you pay $90,000 for a vehicle in the yeah. first place? Right. Yeah. Um, makes no sense to me. But if, if that's what you're going to do, how about, you know, take $5,000 of that money that you were going to buy your $90,000 truck with, buy an $85,000 truck, take $5,000, buy a single mom with no car, a $5,000 truck car so she can get back and forth to work. So she doesn't have to carry groceries on a city bus. So she doesn't have to not eat to make sure her kids eat. There, There's so much more we could be doing to take care of each other 
which is what all of our ultimate responsibilities are, is to each other. Um, the, this me first, this me better mentality is just something that, you know, I, I can't understand. I, I just don't get jiggy with that. It's, it's such an unnatural thing too, like that was constructed by, um, you know, our capitalist system is this individuality and individualistic mindset where for generations and generations, humans are and have been communal groups. That's how we thrive. That's how we feel like we have a sense of purpose and a sense of meaning. And that's how we're powerful is together. And I think that that's an intentional choice made by people in positions of power is the more isolated that we can be and the more individualistic we're led to believe that we need to be the better because that makes us more inclined to value material things and put other people down and allow the system to remain propped up as in, as opposed to um, living more in harmony with each other and, and with nature. And, you know, it's got taught to the it's got taught to the kids as well, right? They, there's the differences there, seeing, seeing those differences with, with the young kids and, and with the way they think. Um, there was an experience I had that was here for a teen court in Wilmington, North Carolina. And the first case that I had saw was the penalty that was given out to the person was they had to do um, 20 hours community service, drug and alcohol training, the parent had to have uh, parenting classes and the child had to do three, um, three stints on the teen court um, to be in the jury. And they, you know, the kids act like the lawyers and all these things. So that was a person of color that had to do that. Okay. Um, the next case that came up was there was a white kid that was on the football team from um, one of the high schools here. He had prepackaged marijuana um, for sale in the school. He was walking down the hallway smoking weed and he got in trouble for it. Well, when he came to teen court, um, like knowing that these kids are doing the same thing, they're being raised the same way. When he went before the teen court, the only thing he had to do to absolve himself from what he did was write an apology letter to his peers. But the other kid that somebody had handed him a pill that he did not take that he had every intention on throwing away is what was said, but he got caught with it because somebody else had taken some and OD'd in the school. So they started saying who the kids said, who he handed them out to. So that person had to do all of these things. Those parents had to jump through hoops, but somebody else only had to write an apology letter. So the kids are learning the same things. I also want to take a moment before we wrap up to, to talk about something that's incredibly important. And, you know, along the lines of what we're talking about right now is um, you sit on the board of Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Coalition in North Carolina. And I'm wondering if you'd be comfortable discussing like your involvement with the group and just what you want people to know about the size, the scope, and the significance of this. Really, it's a horrifying reality for Indigenous women and families not only just in North Carolina, in the country and around the world. Yeah, it, the MMIW is a, 
it's a, a personal issue for me, um, how I got involved. Um, five days before Christmas in 2018, um, my sister was brutally raped and murdered and thrown to the railroad tracks. Um, and the people who did it were going around asking people if they wanted to see a dead body. Um, I ended up getting an invitation um, from uh, one of my friends to go speak at the first MMIW rally that there was in North Carolina that was taking place in Raleigh, uh, North Carolina. And so I went and I, and I spoke that day. And I promised that I was going to be my sister's voice regardless um, and, you know, always make sure that she was remembered. Um, so that was my main goal for joining in with the MMIW. But when I sat back and, and I sat back and thought about it, I was actually having a conversation with one of my friends and I had asked that person, I said, how many people do you know that are missing or have been murdered? And she sat and she thought for a minute and she's like, well, you know, really nobody. I know people have died from car accidents, natural causes, this, that or the other. And I just started naming names. And as I kept going, her mouth just kind of fell open. And it was at that point that I realized that I know so many people that have been murdered. I know so many people that are missing. I know so many families that are hurting that I'm going to scream all of their names with as loud as voices I've got so those people are remembered. Um, there's a huge high profile case that's out of uh, Lumberton, North Carolina in Robinson County. Um, Rhonda Jones was found naked upside down in a garbage can. Christina Bennett was found inside of the abandoned house next to the garbage can, um, naked in a china hutch covered in a blanket, which magically disappeared from the police station. Um, Megan Oxendine spoke on the news about her friend, Rhonda Jones. Three weeks later, they found her naked and dead in the same area. They tell us that they can't classify it as murder, that they don't know the cause of death. I can be pretty sure that somebody didn't crawl in a garbage can naked upside down and kill themselves. The blanket ended up missing. Rape kits were never done until two years later. You know, I know so many people. Uh, Sarah Jones, um, Sarah Graham, um, Dwight Scott. These are people that I know personally that, that have been killed. Faith Hedgepath, you know, um, and it, the thing that we do now is with the MMIW issue, as well as the environmental and humanitarian aspects of our activism, we do these things at an intertribal level. It's not just Tuscarora Nation fighting for Tuscarora people. When I speak on the MMIW issue, I'm speaking of people from Canada. I'm finding cases there to speak on from out West, from South America. Um, but we've made an intertribal coalition here in North Carolina that we're all working together on all of these issues because we have so much more strength together. Um, so we have, you know, Tuscarora Nation, we have uh, the Halawa Saponi, we have the Okaninchi Saponi, the Choctaw, the Meharan, the Lenape, the um, Catawba, the New River Catawba. All of these tribes are coming together. Um, we even have people that come from out west to help us fight this pipeline issue and the MMIW issue here. Um, so, you know, and those are things that we need more help in. If it's something that, you know, somebody is willing to do, go on the MMIW NC Coalition page, share our missing people, share the stories of 
what's happening to our people. Um, so we have, you know, more, more exposure than, you know, it doesn't do a, it does us good, but it doesn't do us a whole, whole lot of good if we're only sharing these things among ourselves, because we already know we need them shared for the people that don't know. We need them to know that when there's pipelines and there's man camps that our women are being killed. Absolutely. And I, I appreciate you sharing that with me. Um, I want to make sure that we're honoring your sister and all of the other people you named and all of the people that remain missing and those that have been murdered and call on our listeners to look deeper into this issue if you aren't already and do what you can to make sure that you are looking out for not just your own safety, your community's safety, people that are outside of your own community's safety. If you see something that is inappropriate, or if you see somebody that looks like they're in an unsafe situation, say something or do something. You know, sometimes it's these small acts of, you know, you notice your surroundings, you pay attention to what's around you. You notice and pick up on someone that might be in a situation where they feel unsafe. It's these, I feel like these small things that are seem small or sometimes they're terrifying and scary, but I mean, these are real people. These are real lives and these are real families that are being devastated. And it's seemingly, you know, in the mainstream media, it's not talked about. So we need to make more noise about this. And Jane, I thank you so much for um, sharing that with us. And I'm wondering if you can also share a little bit more about how people can get in touch or how people can follow along with you. And this is both in terms of um, like the Missing and Murdered Indigenous Women Coalition and Eastern Woodland Protectors, um, just any way in addition to to donations and money, how people can get in touch and follow along with the work that you're doing. Mm -hmm. um, we have the MMIW um, NC Coalition. Um, you can find us on Facebook or, you know, look up through a Google search. Um, and you're more than welcome to be able to come and be with us. We do a different thing each year to honor our women and to bring awareness for it. We do it at the last week of um, April is when we do that. And May 5th is actually MMIW Day. And we ask you to wear red on that day to bring awareness um, to, to our missing women. Um, red is a color that the spirit world's able to see. So we're hoping that when we wear red, that our ancestors and the ones that are missing, you know, and, and gone on, that they they feel our energy. They know that we're here, that we're fighting for them. Um, and so also to go on those pages and share the missing. Um, there was just a little girl just the other day. She's 17 years old, a little native girl that's missing. Um, and we, we need these to be shared. Um, so, so badly. We need to, like you were saying, we need to acknowledge and pay attention to things. We just not long had a girl. Um, she was very young. Um, her boyfriend cut her to pieces in front of her kids and put her in different spots is how he was caught. He had bagged her up and was, you know, putting legs in this ditch and arms in this ditch. Those are the kind of things that we're facing. And those are not easy um, things to be able to deal with, right? Knowing that somebody you know was cut to pieces 
Um, so share when our people are missing. Share if you see if you see a woman and she looks scared, try to figure out a way to talk to her. Try to figure out a way to find out what's going on because you know you could possibly be the one that saves somebody's life. Um, and and come and, and learn, you know, and realize that we're no different than anybody else. Our tribal people aren't. And the, I think the one thing that I really want people to understand is that when I say I'm fighting for the next seven generations, I'm not only fighting for indigenous people, I'm fighting for your kids too. I'm fighting for your grandkids. I'm fighting for your great grandkids to come. I'm fighting for these people I don't know. So everybody can survive and I'm um, trying to, you know, collect money to get water filters um, because we can't trust that even though this company says, you know, they're not dropping anything in our water. We can't trust that's true. Right. They've been doing it forever and lying to us. They've been doing it for over, what, 40 years. And we just found out about it within the last six years. Um so Eastern Woodlands uh, protectors.org, you can reach out to me through there if you'd like to help purchase water filters for somebody. Um, seven Directions of Service, you can reach out um, to them as well about the pipeline issue and the things that we're fighting there. Um, we could always use your prayers. We could use your body support and we could most definitely use your financial support to be able to carry on these messages and to reach the people and be able to stand and continue to fight. Yeah. So listeners, get out there, support Jane. We're in this together. Go to the protest, pay the bail, speak up. If you see something wrong, say something. This is, this is, I mean, this is real. This is people's lives. This is our collective future. Like Jane said, it's not just indigenous people that she's fighting for. That's not, uh, what it's all about. It's about us as a collective species tuning back into why we're here, tuning back into how we can love and support each other. Because at the end of the day, it really is all about love, but we've gotten so far away from that. Um, and I just want to like, I, I feel like so, so far away from you, but like wanting to extend this like massive hug. I love you so much. And I, really appreciate you sharing all of this with me and the listeners. I know that this is an incredibly painful and vulnerable thing to talk about. Um, and just want to make sure that I'm acknowledging that and sending you gratitude for, for being open with us. Um, and, you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about a lot of the challenging aspects of the work that we're doing. Um, I want to make sure that we give a nod also to to sort of the like why we're doing it. And I think that's that for me is there are a lot of rewarding aspects to this and there is a lot of joy that I find in the work. And so I'm wondering, you know, what are some of the most rewarding and joyful parts of this activism work that you're doing? Um I would say it's the people that I've came in contact with and, and the relationships that I've made um, over the years. There are some really strong warrior people out there. And there's a lot of really strong people that see us and, and they see what we're doing and they're joining in to help. Um, 
it's like relationships from all over. Like when we went through, you know, the WIA class, I was going through one of the hardest times, you know, that I had been through in a long time uh, to make it through that class with the sole purpose of, you know, getting water filters and to be able to have the support coming from you guys and, and the prayers, you know, you know what the situation was, um, you know, when we were doing our, our pitch for our, our grants um, and things like that, um, it, well, it wasn't easy. But the relationships are what's huge. Um, and I actually had a few weeks ago, I had a young Native American girl. Um, she came up and she said, Auntie, I want to be an activist too. Will you help me? And so I said, most definitely I will. And I'll teach her what she needs to learn to keep her safe. You know, we provide medic classes. Um, that is a huge thing uh, for the street medics um, that come together and, you know, are there to protect us, meeting those and knowing that there's whole wide communities that are out there. There's the mutual aid people that are out there. There's food, not bombs that are out there. Meeting all of these people that have the same passion for humanity and the earth as me, that's been the most enriching, enriching part. And I think the, the negative that I would put to that is please don't believe the narrative that, that these organizations and corporations and government are putting out there about us because it's not true. It's not true. The people that I know that are activists will do anything in the world to keep you safe, to keep you protected and, and wouldn't do anything to hurt you. So don't believe the, the bad about us. Don't believe that we're just a bunch of dirty savages out here trying to fight because it's not true. It's not true. We're fighting coming from a pure humanitarian standpoint of who creator made us to be, to walk as a human being. And walking as a human being has so many more ramifications than just exploiting what's on the planet. Yeah. And to wrap up each episode, I've been asking all of my guests this series of, it's like three slash like three and a half questions. It's like a little bit of a lightning round, even though um, I'm not going to be timing you so you can answer it however you want. Um, starting with what do you think is the most pressing environmental challenge that we're facing? Um, right now, our water issue. That is something that we need to be hitting head strong as hard and as possible as we can. Um, I was up in uh, Minnesota a couple summers ago, helped fighting the line three at the mouth of the Mississippi River, the headwaters of the Mississippi that provides drinking water for half of the country all the way down into Texas. And they came and they drained over 700,000 gallons of water out during a drought. And basically, killed the Manuman, the, the wild rice that's growing up there with the Ojibwe and the Anishinaabe people. And that thing has already leaked stuff into it so many times. And it, it, we need help to be able to fight these things, right? We, we need you to see us. And I just got totally sidetracked because I just remembered Minnesota and how it was up there trying to fight that stuff. Um, yeah. Um, I'm sorry, Jenna, you lost me. I'm lost. <laughs> That's okay. You're not lost. You're right exactly where you need to be. Um, and so the, the next question is, what are you energized about moving forward? 
Um, I'm energized about the fact that, you know, um, I'm going to be passing out water filters next week um, to the people that need them. That, that's a huge, huge thing for me. I don't have that many, you know, to pass out, but to be able to look at one elder and know that they're drinking clean water, that they're cooking with clean water, um, that's, that's keeping me pushed forward, um, knowing that, you know, there's going to be moms that can actually fill up their baby's bottle from the tap and it's safe, clean water for them to be able to drink um and just knowing that more people are coming in to help and support and that is a huge energy boost knowing that we're not doing this alone that there is people that do care people that do see us that are coming on to the fight um that is just so so powerful and the energy that i get to fight is just goes back to what we talked to at the beginning of the conversation i'm looking at new flowers blooming right now i'm looking at the green on the trees i'm looking at baby birds that have been born um that is my motivation and my push that keeps giving me energy to keep on going i love it and um those water filters are those um part of the women's earth alliance grant that you received um yep those that's where i've got the water filters from is from the grant that i got from women or from women's earth alliance um very appreciative for that grant um you know it, it didn't go far but it went far enough right it went to where i feel like i'm actually making a difference that i'm able to do the things that actually matter you know um a lot of people might think that, you know, $200 for a water filter isn't a lot of money. To a single mom on welfare, it's an impossibility. I don't have a water filter at my home. I couldn't afford one, right? Um, so to be able to provide those for people who can't is is huge. Knowing that, you know, that's one baby that's not being filled with Gen X. Yeah. It's like, do you pay this bill or do you have clean water? And so the reason why I asked about Women's Earth Alliance is because I think we've mentioned, I think we said like WIA a couple of times in the episode and I'm realizing that I, I we never clarified what that was. So just quickly for listeners, um, Jane and I met through a Women's Earth Alliance grassroots accelerator program where they bring together leaders, women leaders in the grassroots climate space from all around the United States. And then they have programs around the world also. And so Jane and I were part of the same cohort and we connected that way and then have since um, met in person through an event that we hosted through the Healthy Ocean Coalition. Um, but if you're interested in sort of learning more about them, go check out Women's Earth Alliance because um, this podcast probably would have never happened if we weren't part of that program and got connected that way. So. Um, wanted to make sure we gave them a, a shout out. And then the um, the last question I have is, it's sort of like a two-parter. You can honestly answer it however the heck you want. So what's the best advice you've ever been given or what advice do you have for our listeners? Um, the best advice that I've ever been given is to meet people at where they're at. Um, in their in their human condition and be kind and compassionate to those people. Um, and I, my advice for people coming into the activist community is, you know, reach out to somebody. Um, you don't have to be scared because to, to tell you the truth, we're all scared. We're scared as shit, but we're still going to continue to do what we do. Um, so for the humanitarian continuation of life. Um, so reach out to somebody and 
build in your community, get some grassroots things going in your community. If you know people that, you know, have big gardens, see if you can get some of that food um, to give it to some of the elders in the community. Every little step that we take um, to fight this capitalist system is what we need to be doing. Um, you know, reach out, send us some money, do whatever you can do to help because um, we're here and we need your help. And uh, just be kind to each other because we're all fighting battles. We don't know what anybody's battle is on any given day. Um, so just be kind and treat each other with humanity and compassion. Well, Jane, thank you so much for joining me today. I, um, I feel like using the words like I adore you and I love you don't even begin to cover it. I'm just so grateful for you and feel so blessed that in this life where our paths lead us in so many different like meandering ways, that um, our paths are just now crossing and I can't wait to see what we're able to do now that our ourselves as individuals and our communities are connected and are able to work in support of one another. Um, you're incredible and I thank you for all of the amazing work that you're doing and for joining me today. And the same goes for you. And I will be saying about the right whale every chance I get and uh, keeping you guys in touch and with what's going on, you know, in the ocean here in my neck of the woods, um, because, you know, we're all tied into this together and water is life. And yeah, this is an awesome connection. <laughs> I'd also like to thank the listeners. If you like what you heard and want to hear more of this show or others like it, we are the American Shoreline Podcast Network. Wherever you listen to podcasts, subscribes, rates, and reviews are very much appreciated. Um, if you are a lover of social media, you can find us online. We are at Coastal News 365 on Twitter and Instagram, and you can connect with me Personally, I am at Jenna Valente on Instagram and at Yana Benna on Twitter. So please find us online and let's chat about our beautiful coastlines. <music>